And today we're going to be talking about his revelation, uh, God revealing himself to us. I don't know about you, but there's been a number of things that have been uh, taking up our news over the last couple of weeks, and there's been one that has dominated everything else. Who knows what it is? The royal visit. That's them. Uh, Prince William, Princess Kate, they've basically taken over the airwaves, haven't they? Taken over the radio waves, taken over the television. They are everywhere. They're all over the place. Uh, and we have some great photos. Uh, this one's when they were at Ayers Rock, and that's not a real snake. It's uh, one that was carved for them. doesn't matter where they are, you can't get away from them, can you? They're just about in everything that they're there. Even little George, he's there as well. And that Bilby, I think, is named after him. I'm not sure whether he was proud of that or whether he thought that was a bit dodge. Well, I get it named after me as a bilby. But uh, they're everywhere, aren't they? Now, if you wanted to get to know them, well, you can get to know them a little bit by that, can't you? By all the stuff that's out there, you can get a bit of a picture of what they're like. You can get an idea of what Prince Charles, uh, Prince William's like and Princess Kate. Uh, you can get a bit of an idea what George is like. Uh, I think he's fairly solid. Uh, he laughs a lot and he loves bilbies. But if you really wanted to get to know them, then you'd need to actually get them to invite you in to do that, wouldn't you? They would need to actually disclose themselves to you. They'd need to invite you over, spend time with them. They could do that, couldn't they? They could invite you over, they could spend time and you could talk to them and you could really get to know them. Or if they wanted you to get to know them but they wanted a lot of other people to really get to know them as well, then what they could do is actually write that down Put it in something like an autobiography or a book or something so that you can actually get to know them specifically. You can get to know them generally by what's, all the pictures and everything that's out there and all those things that are going on and you can know that Kate's got a dress for every day of the year. You can get that sort of a picture, but to really know them, you need to find out specifics. You need to have them to self-disclose to you, to reveal themselves to you. Well, that's what God has done for us. God has revealed himself to us too, and in both those sorts of ways. He's revealed himself in a general sense, and he's revealed himself in a specific sense as well. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. How does God reveal himself to us? Uh, for him to do that, he needs to be self-disclosing. He needs to actually let us know what he's like. We can come up with all sorts of ideas what God's like, can't we? But really, unless we actually hear from him and what he's on about and what he tells us about, we're just making things up, aren't we? We can make up anything we like about William and Kate, couldn't we? We could say that William's actually going to be bald in two years, but we don't know that. We could say that Kate, well, she doesn't really like dresses at all. She'd rather wear jeans. Or we could say, man, she's got a personality that she just goes off the handle at the quickest thing. We could make up anything, couldn't we? But we need to hear from them specifically to know what they're like. And the same with us. God reveals hymns to us. And for us to know what God is like, then we need to listen to how he reveals himself, not what we just think but how he self-discloses himself to us. Often when I talk to people, they talk to me what they think God is like, and they've got some ideas that are close, but then they've made up God into their own image and what he's like according to themselves. But if we really want to know what God's like, then we need to know how God has revealed himself to us. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at what, how God has revealed himself to us and what he says about himself. And the first thing we're going to find out that God has revealed himself in a general way and he's done that uh, by showing us in creation. If you open up Psalm 19, uh, or you see it on the screen, hopefully. 
And I might be able to read it from here, actually. That'd be easy, wouldn't it? Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4. Uh, this is what it says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, the words to the ends of the world. You see, what it's saying to us is that creation itself speaks to us that there is a God. When we look at the world around us, it actually does present to us that there is someone behind it, that there is someone who has designed it, someone who has made it. The the amazing intricacies of our world point to someone who's actually had it and put it together. Now, our world is a phenomenally intricate place, isn't it? Imagine if you're walking on the beach and you picked up a watch and you looked at that watch and you thought, wow, did that watch just turn up on the beach? Did somehow, did a whole lot of bits of sand get blown together at the right time, at the right place, in the right velocity, hit each other, crystallise, come together and make this watch that actually ticks and works and tells time? No, you wouldn't, would you? That is absolutely impossible. You can't even possibly imagine that that could happen. This world is far more, this universe is far more intricate than that watch. The world speaks to us. Creation, the universe speaks to us that there is someone behind it, that there is a God. And that's what Psalm 19 says, doesn't it? It pour forth speech. It shouts that there is a God. Do you know that the earth is exactly the right distance away from the sun for us to live. Exactly the right distance. If you moved us closer or further away by not a great deal, you and I would not be here. It is exactly the right spot. And there is no other planet in the universe that we've found yet that is anywhere near that or like that. It is special, isn't it? It is unique. It is exactly in the right place. That's not an accident. God has placed it there. And the Bible tells us that when we look at the world, then it should speak to us that there is a God, that God reveals himself to us in a general sense by looking at the world around us. Romans 1 verse 9 and 21. Uh, You're going to find that during this series we may not always just have one passage we're going to work through. We're going to be looking at maybe a number of passages in the Bible to help us understand it. So we looked at an Old Testament passage. Now we look at a New Testament passage. Paul says a very similar thing, doesn't he? He says to us, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, he's saying to the world, to everyone out there, God's made it plain to them, that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For all they, though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Again, Paul is saying to us that the world speaks to us that there is a God, that there is someone who has put this together and his hand is behind it. And I think not only does the world speak of that, but I think also when we look at the world and we look at humans, we speak about that as well, don't we? Do you know that there is not one race in the whole of the world 
that doesn't have a concept of a divine being. Not one. There are individuals within those cultures who do, don't think that there is a divine being, but every culture throughout history, throughout time, has always had a concept of a divine being. Do you reckon that's coincidence? Or do you think maybe God has placed that there? Do you know that everyone in the whole world as well has this sense of right and wrong? That some things are right and some things are wrong. Now not every culture has exactly the same idea of right and wrong, but every person in the world has a concept of right and wrong. Where do you think that comes from? Have you ever thought about it before? Why on earth would we possibly have a concept of right and wrong unless there was somebody who had made that in the first place, had placed that inside us? If you work on an evolutionary theory, there is no reason to have right and wrong. It is you just do what you do and to get to where you want to get because that's what's the best for you and that's how you survive. But to actually have a concept of right and wrong is a God thing. In Ecclesiastes, the Bible says that everyone has a God-shaped sense or a sense that there is a creator. The creation speaks of it. Culture, the world, everyone has a religion, of, uh, an idea of a superior being, speaks of it. Having right and wrong speaks of a God who is there. I reckon it's good for us to know, isn't it? Because I think we get hammered sometimes. Don't you? How can you believe in a God? How can you think that's possible? Well, here's just a couple for you to think about that you can hold on to. The intricacies of the world, it's being designed. Try and work out how that design is there without a God. It's a big leap of faith, guys. It's a bigger leap of faith than believing in God, by the way. Evolution is a far bigger leap of faith. Ask how people can, how come everyone in every nature throughout history has had a supreme being in their consciousness? Ask, well, how do you know what's right and wrong and why do you even believe in a right and wrong? Because there's a God and he's revealed himself to us in all those areas. And he says there's a general sense, doesn't he? He says there that no one's got no excuse, he says. That everyone in the whole world has no excuse to not understanding or having a concept of God. It says Dan, hasn't it? He's been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And sometimes we think, oh, well, people, you know, anyone, if they don't come to church or whatever, then they, they, they have, they've got an excuse not to know God. Well, the Bible says everyone has no excuse. No excuse. You can come up with the idea of God without coming along to church. But the Bible also says that the God who discloses himself has done that in a general sense so that everyone's without excuse but he says that he's even done it in a specific sense. He's revealed himself to us through his word. I'm not sure why we had Kate. Through the Bible. In a general sense we say there's a God but if we truly want to know what God is like then we go to the Bible because that's where God has self-disclosed himself to us specifically. Through his word. You see, that's what I was saying about Kate and uh, Will, isn't it? That in one sense we can get a general picture of them by just looking at the pictures and seeing it out there. We can say, yeah, there is a Prince William and a Prince Kate and they are out there and they do some great things. 
But to really know them, we need something that is given to us directly by them, self-disclosure to them, uh, an intimate relationship in a sense to them. And that's what the Bible is for us. That is God's word to you and I. It is his intimate, in a sense, love letter to you and I. Whoa, where did I go then? Sorry. Can you just click me down? I'll go through. Sorry. Got to keep on your toes, everyone. There's a button in the middle of here that says that. You see, the thing about the Bible that is, that is far different to any other book in the world and even any other religious book in the world is because what it is, it's a book about God who self-discloses himself to us, who actually is inviting us into a relationship with him through it. You see, that's the difference about the Bible is that it actually is a letter from God to you and I saying he wants you and I to come into relationship with him. He wants to invite us into that and he does that through putting it down in words for us in the Bible. Uh, you see, the Bible's not just a textbook. It's not just something that we pick up and we study and we look through and say, okay, yeah, blah, 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 blah. It is actually God's word to you and I. He's actually disclosing himself to us and he's asking us to come into relationship with him. He wants us to know him. He wants to reveal himself to us so that we can respond to him. He wants to speak to us through it. And this is a quote that I got of someone that says, it's God's communication to us of the truth that we need to know in order to relate properly to him. That's where he speaks to us directly through his word. Now we might have been thinking about that and if you've been involved in churches for many years, you would say, yep, I know that, I believe that. Well, I'm going to pull that apart a little bit more for you and hopefully say that it's even not just that we need to believe that this is really what we want to hold on to. And you can be solid on it and you can know that. Okay? Uh, let me read to you 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. Uh, he says this, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what... Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, he's saying to him, is that what we have in the Bible, in that book, is God speaking, God breathed through his people to us. It's inspired, is what we're saying by it. I'm going to give you uh, five things about the Bible that hopefully will help you understand why it is and then for us to think about what do we do with it. Uh, the first thing is that the Bible is inspired, that is, it's God breathed that God has breathed through people to bring about his word to us. So what we have when we've got open up the Bible and we look at it and we read it are what the writers have put down, but what the writers have put down is what God wants them to put down. He has worked through them to write down exactly what he wants you to know about himself. He has breathed through them. Uh, it's not that he's dictated to them, though there are parts of the Old Testament where he, they write God says and he puts it down but he's actually worked through who they are, their personalities, their culture, their context, where they're at, even from where they've grown and what's happened behind them. He's worked in that so that when they get to write down what he wants, they put it all down and God, what comes out is what God wants you to hear about how to know him. He reveals himself to you through that, which is great, isn't it? It's inspired by him. Here's another quote from 2 Peter 1 verses 19 to 21. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you do well to pay attention to it. It's a light shining in a dark place until the dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. 
Above all, we must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is, they wrote down, or God wanted them down, as the Holy Spirit worked through them and they wrote them out. So what we can literally say is that what we have in the Bible is God's word to you and I. What he wants us to know. It's been inspired by him. And not only is it inspired by him, but it's inerrant. That is, there are no errors in it. By that we need to realise that what he's saying by it when we mean inerrant, it doesn't mean that the Bible hasn't uh, brought into it when, it when they quote things that people might have quoted. They quote things from other uh, God books or histor- historical books and so forth that may be not true, but they're used within the Bible to show what truth is. And we also need to remember that when the Bible is written that way, that not always does God want us... To, it's not always specific in one sense. Sometimes it's general. So sometimes the Bible's not wanting to give us the metaphysical reasons why the world came into being or the exact representation of what happened at times. Sometimes he's giving it in a general sense. But when it's all put together, it is God's truth. It is not error. There's, not, there's nothing wrong within it. God does not put things down in there that he doesn't want us to know that are wrong. They are all true. So it's inspired. God has spoken through the Spirit, through His Holy Spirit, through people to write down what we have before us. It's inerrant. It doesn't have errors in it. It's what God wants and intends for us to know about Him. Next one too, it's sufficient that what we have in the Bible is all that we need to know about salvation and eternal life and what it means to live for Him. By that again, I mean, it doesn't mean that again that it tells us everything that we need to know about how to do health or how to clean our teeth or whether we need to go to work on Monday morning or not. But what it does is it has everything in it that's sufficient for us to understand who God is, to understand salvation and eternal life. Everything that we need to know is there. We don't need to go outside the Bible to try and find that. It's all there for us in that. And it's clear it's not, a mystery. it's not a mystery. God hasn't written something down for us to cloud our minds and go, wow, that's just, can't work that out. Now don't get me wrong, there's stuff that's hard to understand, but it's clear. The message is clear within the Bible. And the last thing is it's authoritative. That is what the Bible says, what God says through the word is authoritative to you and I. It tells us what it is to live life and how to live that life. That's what that 2 Timothy verse says, doesn't it? It gives us, teaches us, rebukes us, trains us so that we can live everything the way that God wants us to live, the life he desires us to live. It's all there in God's word, in the Bible. Uh, just recently at our house, the dishwasher went bung. And so we decided that we needed to get a new dishwasher and so we got a new dishwasher and as you know with all electrical appliances they come with instructions and those instructions tell you how you should put things and how you should do things and how you should put it together and then you do that and you put it in. Now you're about to think, aren't you? You're thinking, Paul didn't look at the instructions. I'm sure that's in your mind, isn't it? You're all going to say, he's just destroyed the whole dishwasher, water's gone everywhere, the kitchen's in a mess. No. I read the instructions. Ha! See? You thought the exact opposite, didn't you? I read the instructions and I put the dishwasher in and it's still working today. 
There you go. All right. Well, I may not be particularly good at most things, but it's there. But that's what the instructions were, weren't they? The instructions did it, I followed it, and the dishwasher worked. But do you know, as I read those instructions, I didn't feel one ounce of love from Bosch. <laughs> not one ounce of love. I didn't feel like the people who wrote this instruction manual wanted anything to do with me apart from the fact they didn't want to hear from me because they wanted to make sure that the Bosch machine worked and that they don't hear from me ever again. They stick a warranty right at the back in small print and the number, you've got to get a microphone, a microscopic, don't you? The number that you've got to ring is right at the bottom. They don't want you to know them. They don't want you to have a relationship with them. Some people tell us the Bible is a manual for life. Well, yes, it is. But it's far more than that. It's not just a manual for a life. It's God's love letter to you and I. It's his letter to you and I about how we are to come to know him and respond to him and live for him. Yes, it does talk about how we are to live. And if we do follow them, life does work out a whole lot better. But that's not the only thing. It's only part of. You see, the Bible is God's invitation to you to come to know him and love him. That's what the Bible is. Because that's what God reveals to us, doesn't he? That's his self-disclosure to us as he wants us to come to know him and love him. He's not a God who says, I'm just going to give you a bunch of rules and here's the manual and then I don't want to know you anymore. That's not what the Bible's about. That's not what God's about. The Bible is God's word to you and I inviting us into a relationship with him and then showing us how we are to live that relationship out. Changes our thought a little bit, doesn't it, about the Bible? Sometimes we think, oh man, do I need to pick it up and read it? Or, oh, you know, it's just all this whole lot of information and all this stuff. No, 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 guys. This is God's self-disclosure to you. It's him speaking to you. Him wanting to tell you what it is to know him, who he is, how to know him, and how to live for him. That's what the Bible is. Can I encourage you to read it that way? Think about it from that perspective. It changes, it changes your perspective. When you pick this book up and now suddenly think, this is God speaking to me and wanting me to come into relationship with him and to live for him, this is what he's saying to me here. This is where, if I want to know him, this is it. Pick it up and read it that way. It changes your attitude to what you've got in your hands. So God has generally revealed himself in creation. He has specifically revealed himself to us through his word, but even more clearly has revealed himself through Jesus. Sorry, I'll jump back one just so you can get there in a second. I've added something in your bulletin. If you want to open up and have a look, there's a little thing called Seven Helpful Hints in Interpreting the Bible. I don't have time to go through all these with you, so I'm not going to go through them with you. This is for you to take home. Uh, because we can say, as we say, you know, God's generally revealed, specifically revealed in the Bible, but then sometimes we find it hard. You know, it's that attitude I've just talked about changing and seeing it's God's love letter to you about relationship, that makes a huge difference to it. But then when we come to read it, then how do we, how do we understand it? How, do we, how does it come together? Well, I've just put down seven things that I think are really helpful when you pick up the Bible, have these either sitting beside you or in your head, uh, if you know them, it'll help you come to understand what the Bible is about. 
and how you can apply it to your life. There are lots of people out there who will tell you that, ah, oh, this is, I'm teaching you from the Bible. And they may be opening up the Bible, but I think sometimes they are being very dangerous with the Bible because they're either just ripping it out and saying, this is it, or they're out of context, or they're just using it for their own agenda. Whereas we need to read the Bible as the Bible is. And here's seven little helpful hints for you to do that. Go through that, have a think about that. And I think if you keep to these seven things, I'm not saying you don't only have to do these seven, there's other things you can think about, but these seven things will help you come to the end of your reading and say, that's what God's on about. That's how I know God. That's how he desires me to live. And then you'll say, okay, I can apply it in my life now. Rather than just going, I'm going to grab that one verse, I'm going to go here, apply it to my life. Firstly, you probably don't understand it, and secondly, that's probably not what the Bible was talking about in the first place. So have a look at those seven hints, helpful hints. Uh, but all of them, as I said before, it all comes together in this person, Jesus, doesn't it? You see, Jesus is at the centre of all of it. In God's revealing of himself, in general in the creation, specifically through the word, but where does the word take us? It takes us to Jesus. He is the crutch. He is the centre. He is the one that it's all about because in Jesus we see God. Jesus says, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. If you want to know what God is like, how he would have operated in this world as a human, Jesus is it. He is where all the Old Testament is bringing us to and all the New Testament is explaining us to us about. He is the prism by which we need to look at all of it and the prism by which we understand all of it because in Jesus is all we need to know about God. That It's all on him. He is God with flesh on. And everything in God's specific invitation to you and I to come into relationship with him and know how to live with him is all about Jesus. He is the one that brings us into relation with Jesus with God. He is the one that shows us what God is like. He is the one that shows us how to live that out. Now we're going to watch just a little clip. that just We've seen this before I think and you might remember it but I think it's a great clip because it just draws that back together for us and shows us that. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. The story of Adam and Eve is not just about the first man and woman. There is a true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is ascribed to us. There is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Isaac the son of laughter, of grace, who was not just offered up by his father on the mountain, but was truly sacrificed for us all. There is a true and better Jacob, 
who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. There is a true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. There is a true and better Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus. Handy, isn't it, just to show how that all comes together. So when we uh, pick up the Bible, it is God's narrative to us of which Jesus is the centrepiece of it. That's where he reveals himself most clearly to you and I. I just want to encourage you that... Uh, I don't know how you go with reading your Bible. Sometimes it's not easy, is it? Sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes we feel like... How do we get to it? How can we get into it? Well, can I encourage you that you keep thinking about it from that perspective, that it is God's self-revelation to you, his self-disclosure to you, that you see that it's culminated in Jesus. And then encourage you to actually pick it up and start reading it. Can I encourage you too that there are multitudes, numbers of things out there today that can help you do that. There are apps your mobile phones that will beep you every hour and give you a verse or help you explain or you can open it up. Uh, I think we have even less excuse than ever before to not be able to open up the Bible and look at it and even have people help us understand it. So can I encourage you to do that? Find it, ask me, ask people about what have they found as being helpful in helping you get into it and understand it and realise what it's all about. And can I encourage you too that it's really good to do that together. Some of the most misguided, way off tangential things that I've ever thought about the Bible have happened when I've done it by myself. Uh, now I'm not saying that, that it's a good thing to do it by yourself but can I say that sometimes we need to be really careful that if we just think we can do it by ourselves, sometimes we can run in directions that are just way out there. That's why God's given us each other. If you read through the New Testament, it talks about gathering together to do what? 
to read the Bible together, to study, to pray, to sing. But to get together around God's word is what it's about. So can I encourage you to do that? Do that with someone else. Do that in a smaller group. Get to growth group. Do it with someone during the week. Find some time. Sit down and just read the Bible together and ask what you think about it together. Because God works through us together to reveal who he is through his word. So let me encourage you to do that. Don't just uh, give up and say, I can't do it, it's too hard. If you're finding it hard by yourself, get someone else to do it with you. Finding it hard with someone else together, then get to a growth group and do it there. But don't miss out on it. Because God wants you to know him. God desires you to be in relationship with him. God wants you to get to know him more and more and more and he has given that specifically to us through his word and specifically in Jesus. And you know what? People have died so that you can have the Bible in your hands today. Does anyone know who William Tyndale is? Does anyone know him? Uh, we should, well, here you go. There's a good reason to know him. Okay, The reason that you now have the Bible in English in your hands is more to anyone else than William Tyndale. He is the one that we really should be thanking for it. See, William Tyndale, he was born uh, 1494 through to 1536, I think he died. And uh, what was, uh, as he was growing up, he didn't have a lot to do with uh, Christian stuff, but he uh, eventually found himself in the Catholic Church, which is where a lot of people were during those time frames. He was in England. And at one point in time, he was in a house where he was uh, being a tutor to the kids of the person in that house. And he picked up a translation of, uh, by Erasmus of the Greek New Testament. Because all they had back in his day, in William Tynesdale's day, generally was the Latin version, or the Vulgate, the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church held on to that and would not let anybody read it except the priest. And then the priest could only recite it in Vulgate. So anybody who didn't know Latin had no idea what the Bible was about. And so the Catholic Church was able to teach whatever they decided to teach from that. And a lot of the time it wasn't what was in the Bible. Uh, but what was happening around this time, which was around about the time of Martin Luther and uh, a few other people around the Reformation period of time, is that people were starting to pick up the original language of the Bible in Greek and Hebrew and they were studying Greek and Hebrew to be able to understand it. And what this William Tyndale did is he picked up one by a guy called Erasmus and found it in Greek and then he thought, wouldn't this be good if we had it in English? And at a similar time, Martin Luther, who had been translating it into German, and Tyndale started to put it into English. Well, you wouldn't believe all hell broke loose when he did that. Uh, he started translating the Bible into English. Uh, he got basically had to flee England because Henry VIII was around at that point in time and he wanted him dead. And so he had to flee and go away. Now, Henry VIII tried to bring him back uh, a number of times, but he wouldn't come. And he said, I would only return if you allow me to translate the Bible into English so that everyone has a chance to read God's word. Now he said that in a slightly different language and if you could read that one up there, uh, it's basically what he's saying. He's saying when people talk about William Tyndale, his one note was, just let me translate the English Bible. Translate the Greek into English or the Hebrew into English. Well, he eventually did do that and he translated a whole lot of the Bible into English 
And the authorised version or the old King James version that uh, some people use and around today, they say that nine-tenths of the old King James version is his original translation that they put together. Now, William Tyndale died. They strangled him and they burnt him alive. And they say that the words that came out of his mouth as he was dying was, God, open the eyes of the English king so that we can translate the Bible. He died so that you and I could have God's specific revelation to, you, to us in our hands, in our language, so that we could understand it. God's self-disclosure to you and I. In general sense, creation, the universe. In specific sense, comes to us in his invitation to you and I through his word, through the Bible. And even more pointed, it comes to us through Jesus. God's self-disclosure to you and I. I pray that you and I will not ignore it, will not put it on the shelf, will not say it's too hard, but will actually get into it and find out more about that God who lovingly invites us into a relationship with him, to know him, to love him, and to live for him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, I want to thank you that you haven't left us to our own imaginations to work out who you are and what you're on about and what you desire, Lord, but you have uh, come in and, and you have shown us specifically through your word, Lord, who you are and what you're on about, Lord, and what you desire for us. And your desire, Lord, is for us to come into a living and loving relationship with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you haven't left us to ourselves to work out how we can be right with you, but in Jesus you have done that. In Jesus you have not only showed us who you are, Lord, but in Jesus you went to the cross for us, died and rose again so that we could be in relationship with you forever. Heavenly Father, I pray that we never take that for granted. I pray, Lord, that we'll be motivated, encouraged, enthused today, to give our all, to live our lives, to know you and to live for you, Lord, and to know that through how you've disclosed yourself to us, how you've revealed yourself to us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And sing a great song to finish.